Chapter Two, Part Three, of the Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice, by George Prentice. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Teresa Downey. Chapter Two, Part Three. Extracts from her Richmond Journal. Were her letters to her cousin the only record of Miss Payson's Richmond life? One might infer that they give a complete picture of it for they were written in the freedom and confidence of Christian friendship, with no thought that a third eye would ever see them. But it had another and hidden side, of which her letters contain only a partial record. Her early habit of keeping a journal has been already referred to. She kept one at Richmond, and was prevented several years later from destroying it, as she had destroyed others, by the entreaty of the only person who ever saw it. This journal depicts many of her most secret thoughts and feelings, both earthward and heavenward. Some passages in it are of too personal nature for publication, but the following extracts seem fairly entitled to a place here, as they bring out several features of her character with sun-like clearness, and so will help to a better understanding of the ensuing narrative. Richmond, October 3, 1840. How funny it seems to be here! Everything is so different from home. I foresee that I shan't live nearly a year under these new influences without changing my old self into something else. Heaven forbid that I should grow old because people treat me as if I were grown up. I hate old young folks. Well, whoever should see me and my scholars would be at a loss to know wherein consists the difference between them and me. I am only a little girl, after all and yet folks do treat me as if I were as old and wise as Methuselah. And Mr. Pasico says, Oui, madame. Oh, oh, oh. It makes me feel so ashamed when these tall girls, these damsels, whose hearts are developed as mine won't be these half-dozen years, to say nothing of their minds, ask me if they may go to bed, if they may walk, if they may go to Mr. So-and-so's and Miss Such-and-one's to buy a stick of candy for aught I know. Uh, uh, uh. I shall have to take airs upon myself. I shall have to leave off little words and use big ones. I shall have to leave off sitting curled on my feet, turkey fashion. I shall have to make wise speeches. But a word in your ear, miss. I won't. October 27th. This Richmond is a queer sort of place, and I should be as miserable in as a fish out of water. Only there is sunshine enough in my heart to make any old hole bright. In the first place, this dowdy chamber is, in one view, a perfect den. No carpet, whitewashed walls, loose windows that have the shaking palsy, fire-red hearth, blue paint instead of white, or rather a suspicion that there was once some blue paint here. But what do I care? I'm as merry as a grig from morning till night. The little witches downstairs love me dearly. Everybody's kind. And, and, and when everybody is locked out and I am locked into this same room, this low attic, there's not a king on the earth so rich, so happy as I. Here's my little pet desk. Here are my books, my papers. I can write and read and study and moralize. I don't pretend to say think. And then besides, every morning and every night, within these four walls, heaven itself refuses not to enter in and dwell, and I may grow better and better and happier and happier, in the blessedness with which nothing may intermeddle. Mr. Persico is a man by himself, and quite interesting to me in one way, that is, in giving me something to puzzle out. I like him, for
for his exquisite taste in the picture line, and for having adorned his rooms with such fine ones. At least they're fine to my inexperienced eye. For when I'm in the mood, I can go and sit and dream as it seemeth me good over them, and as I dream, won't good thoughts come into my heart? As to Mrs. Persico, I hereby return my thanks to nature for making her so beautiful. She has a face and figure to fall in love with. Kay also has a fine face and a delicate little figure. Miss So-and-so I shall avoid as far as I can do so. I do not think her opinions and feelings would do me any good. She has a fine mind, and likes to cultivate it, and for that I respect her. But she has nothing natural and girlish in her, and I am persuaded never had. She hates little children, says she hates to hear them laugh, thinks them little fools. Why, how odd all this is to me! I could as soon hate the angels in heaven, and hate to hear them sing. That, to be sure, is my way, and the other way is hers, but somehow it doesn't seem good-hearted to be so very, very superior to children as to shun the little loving beautiful creatures. I don't believe I shall ever grow up. But, Miss So-and-so, I don't want to do you an injustice, and I'm much obliged to you about all the flattering things you said about me. And if you like my eyes, and think there is congeniality of feeling between us, why, I thank you. But, oh, don't teach me that the wisdom of the world consisteth of forswearing the simple beauties with which life is full. Don't make me fear my own happy girlhood by talking to me about love. Oh, don't. December 1st. I wonder if all the girls in the world are just alike. Seems to me they might be so sweet and lovable if they'd leave off chattering forever and ever about lovers. If mothers would keep their little unfledged birds under their own wings, wouldn't they make better mother birds? Now some girls downstairs, who ought to be thinking about all the beautiful things in life but just lovers, are reading novels, love stories, and poetry, till they can't care for anything else. Now, Lizzie Payson, where's the use of fretting so? Go right to work, reading Leighton, and you'll forget that all the world isn't as wise as you think you are, you little vain thing you. Alas and alas, but this is such a nice world, and the girls don't know it. December 2nd. What a pleasant walk I had this morning on Ambler's Hill. The sun rose while I was there, and I was so happy. The little valley, clothed with white houses, and completely encircled by hills, reminded me of the verse about the mountains round about Jerusalem. Nobody was awake so early, and I had all the great hill to myself, and it was so beautiful that I could have thrown myself down and kissed the earth itself. Oh, sweet and good and loving Mother Nature, I choose you for my own. I will be your little lady love. I will hunt you out wherever you hide, and you shall comfort me when I am sad, and laugh with me when I am merry, and take me by the hand, and lead me onward and upward, till the image of the heavenly forceth out that of the earthly from my whole heart and soul. Oh, how I prayed for a holy heart on that hillside, and how sure I am that I shall grow better, and what companionable thoughts I have had all day for that blessed walk. The Eighth My life is a nice little life just now, as regular as clockwork. We walk, and we keep school, and our scholars kiss us and love us, and we kiss and love them, and we read Lamartine, and I worship Leighton, good, wise, holy Leighton, and we discourse about everything together, and dispute, and argue, and argue, and dispute, and I'm quite happy, so I am. As to Lamartine, 
He's no great things as I know of, but I want to keep up my knowledge of French, and so we read twenty pages a day. And as to our discourses, my fidgety, moralizing sort of mind wants to compare its doctrines with those of other people, though it's as stiff as a poker in its own opinions. You're a very consistent little girl. You call yourself a child, and are afraid to open your mouth before folks, and yet you're as obstinate and proud as a little man, daring to think for yourself, and act accordingly at the risk of being called odd and incomprehensible. I don't care, though. Run on and break your neck, if you will. You're nothing special, after all. The Ninth. Tonight, in unrolling a little bundle of work, I found a little note therein from Mother. Woo! How I kissed it! I thought I should fly out of my senses. I was so glad. But I can't fly nowadays. I'm growing so unethereal. Why, I take up a lot of room in the world, and my frocks won't hold me. That's because my heart is so quiet, lying as still as a mouse, after all of its tossings about and trying to be happy in the things of this life. Ugh, I am so happy now in the other life. But as for telling other people so, as for talking religion, I don't see how I can. It doesn't come natural. Is it because I am proud? But I pray to be so holy, so truly a Christian, that my life shall speak, and gently persuade all who see me to look for the hidden spring of my perpetual happiness and quietness. The only question is, do I live so? I am afraid I make religion seem too grave a thing to my watching maidens downstairs. But, oh, I am afraid to rush into their pleasures. The twenty-fifth. I have been our Lizzie all my life, and have not had to display my own private feelings and opinions before folks, but have sat still and listened and mused and lived within myself and shut myself up in my corner of the house and speculated on life and the things thereof till I've got a set of notions of my own which don't fit into the notions of anybody I know. I don't open myself to anybody on earth. I cannot. There is a world of something in me which is not known to those about me, and perhaps never will be. But sometimes I think it would be delicious to love a mind like mine in some things, only better, wiser, nobler. I do not quite understand life. People don't live as they were made to live, I'm sure. I want soul. I want the gracious, glad spirit that finds the good and the beautiful in everything joined to the manly, exalted intellect. Rare unions, I'm sure, yet possible ones. Little girl, do you suppose such a soul would find anything in yours to satisfy it? No, 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 I do not. I know I am a poor little goose, which ought to be content with some equally poor little gander. But I won't. I'll never give up one inch of these, the demands of my reason and of my heart, for all the truths you tell me about myself. Never. But descend from your elevation, O oh, speculating child of mortality, and go down to school. Oh, no, no school for a week. And I guess I'll spend the week in fancies and follies. It won't hurt me. I've done it before, and got back to the world as satisfied as ever. Indeed I have. January 1st, 1841 We've been busy all the week, getting our presents ready for the servants, and a nice time I've had this morning, seeing them show their ivory thereat. James made a little speech, 
the amount of which was he hoped I wouldn't get married till I'd done been here two or three years, because my face was so pleasant it was good to look at it. I was as proud as Lucifer at this compliment, and shall certainly look pleasant all day to-day, if I never did before. Monsieur and the rest wished me, and I won't say how many, good wishes, rushing at me as I went in to breakfast, and Milly privately informed Lucy that she likes Miss Pazin a heap better than she did anybody else, and then came and begged me to buy her. I, by her, heaven bless that poor little girl. I had some presents and affectionate notes from different members of the family, and from my scholars, also letters from sister and Ned, which delighted me infinitely more than I am going to tell you, old journal. Took tea at Mr. P.'s, and Mrs. P. laughed at her husband, because he had once an idea of going to New England to get my little ladyship to wife. For the sake of my father, of course. Mr. P. blushed like a boy, and fidgeted terribly, but I didn't care a snap. I am not old enough to be wife to anybody, and I am not going to mind if people do joke with me about it. I had better things to think of on this New Year's Day, good heavenward thoughts and prayers and hopes, and if I do not become more and more transformed into the divine, then are prayers and hopes things of naught? Oh, how dissatisfied I am with myself! How I long to be like unto him, into whose image I shall one day be changed, when I see him as he is! I believe nobody understands me on religious points, for I cannot, and it seems to me, need not parade my private feelings before the world. Cousin G, God bless him, knows enough, and yet my letters to him do not tell the hundredth part of that which these four walls might tell, if they would. I do not know that I am not wrong, but I do dislike the present style of talking on religious subjects. Let people pray, earnestly, fervently, not simply morning and night, but the whole day long, making their lives one continued prayer. But, oh, don't let them tell others of it, or let others know half how much of communion with heaven is known to their own hearts. Is it not true that these who talk most, go most to meetings, run hither and thither to all sorts of societies, and all sorts of readings? Is it not true that such people would not find peace and contentment? Yes, blessedness of blessedness in solitary hours, when to the searcher of hearts alone are known their aspirations and their love? I do not know. I am puzzled. But I may say here, where nobody will ever see it, what I do think, and I say it to my own heart, as well as over the hearts of others. There is not enough of real, true communion with God, not enough nearness to Him, not enough heart-searching before Him, and too much parade and bustle and noise in doing of His work on earth. Oh, I do not know exactly what I mean, but since I have heard so many apparently Christian people own that of this sense of nearness to God, they know absolutely nothing, that they pray because it is their habit without the least expectation of meeting the great yet loving Father in their closets. Since I have heard this, I am troubled and perplexed, why is it not indeed true that the Christian believer, God's own adopted, chosen, beloved child, may speak face to face with his father, humbly, reverently, yet as a man talketh with his friend? Is it not true? Do I not know that it is so? Oh, I sometimes want the wisdom of an angel, that I may not be thus disturbed and wearied. 
the fourteenth now either miss so-and-so's religion is wrong and mine right or else it's just the other way i wrote some verses funny ones and sent her to-day and she returned for answer that verse in proverbs about vinegar on nitre and seemed distressed that i ever had such worldly and funny thoughts i told her i should like her better if she ever had any but solemn ones whence we rushed into a discussion about proprieties and i maintained that a mind was not in a state of religious health if it could not safely indulge in thoughts funny as funny could be she shook her head and looked as glum as she could and i'm really sorry that i vexed her righteous soul though i'm sure i feel funny ever so much of the time cannot help saying funny things and cutting up capers now and then i'll take care not to marry a glum man anyhow not that i want my future lord and master to be a teller of stories a wit or a particularly funny man but he shan't wear a long face and make me wear a long one as though he may be as pious as the day is long and must be what's more oh my i don't think i was so very naughty i saw miss so-and-so laughing privately at these same verses and she rushed in to mrs p and read them to her and then copied them for her aunt and paid twenty-five cents postage on the letter and paid twenty-five cents postage on the letter i should like to know how she dared waste so much time in unholy employments as i was saying and am always thinking it's rather queer that people are so oddly different in their ideas of religion heaven forbid i should trifle with serious and holy thoughts of my head and heart but if my religion is worth a straw such verse-writing will not disturb it january sixteenth i wonder what's got into me to-day i feel cross without the least bit of reason for so feeling i guess i'm not well for i'm sure i've felt like one great long sunbeam i don't know how many months and it doesn't come natural to be fretful the seventeenth i knew i wasn't well yesterday and to-day am half sick we got through breakfast at twenty minutes to eleven and as i was up at seven i got kind of hungry and out of sorts this afternoon went into church and heard one of dr e s argumentative sermons but there's something in those prayer-book prayers certainly if men won't or can't put any grace into their sermons i wish i had a perfect ideal sunday in my head or heart or both if i'm very good i'm tired at night and if i'm bad my conscience smites me so anyway i'm not very happy just now and i'm sick and mean to go to bed and so the eighteenth had a talk with nanny she has a thoughtful mind and who knows but we may do her some good i love to have her here and for once in my life like to feel a little bit just the least little bit old that is old enough to give a little sage advice to the poor thing when she asks it she says she won't read any more novels and will read the bible and dear knows what else she said about finding an angel for me to marry which heaven forbid she should do since i'm too fond of being a little mite naughty to desire anything of that sort after she was in bed she began to say her prayers most vehemently and among other things prayed for miss Payson. i had the strangest sensation and yet an almost heavenly one if i may say so may it please heaven to listen to her prayer for me and mine for her dear child but suppose i do her no good while she lives so under my wing nineteenth up early and walked and read leighton mr p amused us at dinner by giving a funny account in his funny way 
of a mistake of e h's she asked me the french for as aussi quoth i thereupon she tucked a great o period c period into her exercise and took it to him and they jabbered and sputtered over it and she insisted that miss payson had said so and he put his face right into hers and said will you try to prove that miss payson is a fool you little goose and at last miss a understood and explained read leighton after school and thirty-two pages of lamartine then mr p called then miss so-and-so teased me to love her and kept me in her paws till the bell rang for tea why can't i like her i should be so ashamed if i should find out after all that she is as good as she seems but i never did get cheated yet when i trusted my own mother wits my instinct or whatever it is by which i know folks and she is found wanting by this something the twenty eighth mrs persico has comforted me to-day she says mr t came to mr p with tears in his eyes could such a man shed tears and told him that i should be the salvation of his child that she was already the happiest and most altered creature and begged him to tell me so i was ashamed and happy too but i think mr p should have told him that if good has been done to nanny it is as much to say the least owing to louisa as to me l always joins me in everything i do and say for her and i would not have even an accident deprive her of her just reward for anything nanny sat on the floor to-night in her nightgown thinking at last she said miss payson well you little witch you wouldn't much care if you should die to-night should you no i think not nor i said she why do you think you should be better off than you are here why do you think you should be better off than you are here yes in heaven said she why how do you know you'll go to heaven she looked at me seriously and said oh i don't know i don't know i don't think i should like to go to the other place we had then a long talk with her and it seems she's a regular little believer in purgatory but i wouldn't dispute with her i guess there's a way of getting at her heart better than that why is it that i have such a sensitiveness on religious points such a dread of having my own private aims and emotions known by those around me is it right i should like to be just what the christian ought to be in these relations miss so-and-so expects me to make speeches to her but i cannot if i thought i knew ever so much i could not and she annoys me so oh i wish it didn't hurt my soul so to touch it it's just like a butterfly's wing people can't help tearing off the very invisible down so to speak for which they take a fancy to it if they get it between their fingers and thumb and so i have to suffer for their curiosity's sake am i bound to reveal my heart life to everybody who asks must i not believe that the heavenly love may in one sense be hidden from the outward eye and outward touch or am i wrong february first eighteen forty one rose later than usual cold dull rainy morning read in life of wilberforce defended nanny with more valor than discretion this evening the storm departed and the moonlight was more beautiful than ever and i was so sad and so happy 
and the life beyond and above seemed so beautiful. Oh, how I have longed to-day for heaven within my own soul! There's been much unspoken prayer in my heart to-night. I don't know what I should do if I could have my room all to myself, and not have people know it if even a good thought comes into my mind. I shall be happy in heaven, I know I shall, for even here prayer and praise are so infinitely more delightful than anything else. The third. Woke with a headache, got through school as best I could, then came and curled myself up in a ball in the easy chair, and didn't move till nine, when I crept down to say good-bye to poor Mrs. Persico. Miss L. and Miss J. received me in their room so tenderly and affectionately that I was ashamed. What makes them love me? I am sure I should not think that they could. The Tenth. I wonder who folks think I am, and what they think. Sally R. sent me up her book of autographs with a request that I would add mine. I looked it over, and found very great names, and did not know whether to laugh or cry at her funny request, which I couldn't have made up my mouth to grant. How queer it seems to me that people won't let me be a little girl, and will act as if I were an old maid or matron of ninety-nine. Poor Mr. Persico is terribly unhappy, and walks up and down perpetually with such a step. The Twelfth. I am sure that in these little things God's hand is just as clearly to be seen as in his wonderful works of power, and tried to make Miss So-and-so see this. But she either couldn't or wouldn't. It seems to me that God is my father, my own father, and it is so natural to turn right to him, every minute almost, with either thank-offerings or petitions, that I never once stop to ask if such-and-such such a matter is sufficiently great for his notice. Miss So-and-so seemed quite astonished when I said so. The sixteenth. I've been instituting an inquiry into myself to-day, and have been worthily occupied in comparing myself to an onion. Though in view of the fragrance of that highly useful vegetable, I hope that the comparison won't go on all fours. But I have as many natures as an onion has. What do you call them? Coats. First the outside skin or nature. Kind of tough and ugly. Anybody may see that, and welcome. Then comes my next nature, a little softer, a little more removed from curious eyes. Then my inner one, myself, that air little round ball which nobody ever did or ever will see the whole of, at least suppose not. Now most people see only the outer rind, a brown, red, yellow, tough skin, and that's all. But I think there's something inside that's better and more truly an onion than might be at first guessed. And so I'm an onion, and that's the end. The seventeenth. Mrs. P.'s birthday. In honor of which, cake and wine. Mr. P. was angry with us because we took no wine. If he had asked me civilly to drink his wife's health, I should probably have done so. But I am not to be frightened into anything. I made a funny speech, and got him out of his bearish mood, and then we all proceeded to the portico to see if the new president had arrived, by which means we obtained a satisfactory view of two cows, three geese, one big boy in a white apron, and one small one in a blue apron, three darkies of feminine gender, and one old horse. But Mr. Harrison himself we saw not. Mr. Persico says it's Tyler's luck to get into office by the death of his superior, and declares Harrison must infallibly die to secure 
John Tyler's fate. It's to be hoped this won't be the case. March 6th. Miss L. read to us today some sprightly and amusing little notes written her years ago by a friend with whom she still corresponds. I was struck with the contrast between these youthful and light-hearted fragments and her present letters, now that she is a wife and mother. I wonder if there is always this difference between the girl and the woman. If so, heaven forbid I should ever cease to be a child. The 18th. Headache. Nanny sick, held her in my arms two or three hours. Had a great fuss with her about taking her medicine, but at last out came my word, must. And the little witch knew it meant all it said, and down went the oil in a jiffy, while I stood by laughing at myself for my pretensions of dignity. The poor child couldn't go to sleep till she had thanked me over and over for making her mind and for taking care of her, and wouldn't let go my hand, so I had to sit up until very late. And then I was sick and sad and restless, for I couldn't have my room to myself, and the day didn't seem finished without it. It is a perfect mystery to me how folks get along with so little praying. Their hearts must be better than mine or something. What is it? But if God sees that the desire of my whole heart is to-night, has been all day, towards himself, will he not know this as prayer, answer it as such? Yes, prayer is certainly something more than bending of the knees and earnest words, and I do believe that goodness and mercy will descend upon me, though with my lips I ask not. The 24th. Had a long talk with Mr. Persico about my style of governing. He seemed interested in what I had to say about appeals to the conscience, but said my youthful enthusiasm would get cooled down when I knew more of the world. I told him very pertly that I hoped I should not know the world then. He laughed and asked, You expect to make out of these stupid children such characters, such hearts as yours? No, but better ones. He shook his head and said I had put him into good humor. I don't know what he meant. I've been acting like Sancho all day, rushing upstairs, two at a time, frisking about, catching up Miss J, in all her maiden dignity, and tossing her right into the midst of our bed. Who's going to be schoolma'am out of school? Not I. I mean to be just as funny as I please, and what's more, I'll make Miss So-and-so funny too. That I will. She'd have so much more health, Christian health, I mean, if she would leave off trying to get to heaven in such a dreadful bad way. I can't think religion makes such a long, gloomy face. It must be that she is wrong, or else I am. I wonder which. Why, it's all sunshine to me, and all clouds to her. Poor Miss So-and-so. You might be so happy. April ninth, Holiday. We all took a long walk, which I enjoyed highly. I was in a half-moralizing mood all the way, wanted to be by myself very much. We talked more than usual about home, and I grew so sad. Oh, I wonder if anybody loves me as I love. I wonder. I long for mother, and if I could just see her, and know that she is happy, and that she will be well again. It is really a curious question with me, whether provided I ever fall in love, for I'll fall in love, else not go in at all. I shall leave off loving mother best of anybody in the world. I suppose I shall be in love some time or other. But that's nothing to do with me now, nor I with it. I've got my hands full to take care of my naughty little self. The 17th. Mrs. Persico got home tonight, and what a meeting we had. 
what rejoicing how beautiful she looked as she sat in her low chair and we stood and knelt in happy circle about her a queen an angel could not have received love and homage with a sweeter grace sue irvine cried an hour for joy and i wished i was one of the crying sort for i'm sure i was glad enough to do almost anything beautiful woman we sang to her the welcome home miss f singing as much with her eyes as with her voice and mr and mrs persico both cried he like a little child oh that such evenings as this came oftener in one's life all that was beautiful and good in each of our hidden natures came dancing out to greet her at her coming and all petty jealousies were so quieted and why what a rhapsody i'm writing and to-morrow our good better natures tucked away dear knows where we shall descend with business-like airs to breakfast wish each other good morning pretend that we haven't any hearts oh is this life i won't believe it our good genius has to come back to us now all things will again go on smoothly once more i can be a little girl and frolic up here instead of playing miss dignity downstairs may seventh this evening i passed unavoidably through miss so-and-so's room she was reading byron as usual and looked so wretched and restless that i could not help yielding to a loving impulse and putting my hand on hers and asking why she was so sad she told me it was just what i supposed she is trying to be happy and cannot find out how reads byron and gets sickly views of life sits up late dreaming about love and lovers then too tired to pray or think good thoughts tosses down upon her bed and wishes herself dead she did not tell me this to be sure but i gathered it from her story i alluded to her religious history and present hopes she said she did not think continued acts of faith in christ necessary she had believed on him once and now he would save her whatever she did and she was not going to torment herself trying to live so very holy a life since after all she should get to heaven just as well through him as if she had been particularly good as she termed it i don't know whether a good or bad spirit moved me at that minute but i forgot that i was a mere child in religious knowledge and talked to her about my doctrine and made it a very beautiful one to my mind though i don't think she thought so oh for what would i give up the happiness of praying for a holy heart of striving struggling for it yes it is indeed true that we are to be saved simply only apart from our own goodness through the love of christ but who can believe himself thus chosen of god who can think of and hold communion with infinite holiness and not long for the divine image in his own soul it is a mystery to me these strange doctrines is not the fruit of love aspiration after the holy is not the act of the newborn soul when it passeth from death unto life that of desire for assimilation to and oneness with him who is its all in all how can love and faith be one act and then cease i dare not believe i would not for the universe believe that my very sense of safety in the love of christ is not to be just the sense that shall bind me in grateful self-renunciation wholly to his service let me be sure of final rest in heaven sure that at this moment i am really god's own adopted child and i believe my prayers my repentings my weariness of sin would be just what they now are nay more deep more abundant oh it is because i believe fully believe that i shall be saved through christ 
that I want to be like him here on earth. It is because I do not fear final misery that I shrink from sin and defilement here. Oh, that I could put into that poor, bewildered heart of hers just the sweet repose upon the ever-present Savior which he has given unto me. The quietness with which my whole soul rests upon him is such blessed quietness. I shall not soon forget this strange evening. End of chapter 2, part 3 of The Life and Letters of Elizabeth Prentice by George Prentice Recording by Teresa Downey